Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We Watched a Thing. New year, new decade. I'm pretty excited. How are you feeling, Toe? Uh, I'm also excited. The freshness of a new decade. It's, it's coursing through my veins. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, we ended the year on a pretty bloody good note, though. We smashed our monthly download record. I'm amazed. <laughs> As you know, nothing gets me off like analytics. I know. <laughs> yes. I do know that you're a fan of Excel. <laughs> <laughs> Good way to start the new year, though, watching watching this movie, what I think is probably Scorsese's best film. Not a bad way to start a year. Better than the last movie that this patron got us to watch. <laughs> That's right. This is the same patron who demanded that we- Was it Child's Play? <laughs> yes. The re the the re- remake reboot whatever whatever we're calling it, um, oh. yes that piece of shit. <laughs> this this time we've been demanded to watch Taxi Driver, nineteen seventy six American neo noir psychological thriller directed by as we said Martin Scorsese and written by Paul Schrader. It stars of course Robert De Niro, Jodie Foster, Sybil Shepherd, Harvey Keitel, Peter Boyle, Leonard Harrison, Albert Brooks, and what's it about, Tove? Well, uh, a New York cabbie, um, almost certainly suffering the effects of PTSD, uh, spirals violently out of control. Yeah. Right in front of our eyes. De Niro, in fact, he'd already signed on to do this film before he won the Oscar for Godfather Part 2, and they'd already agreed a fee for the movie. So he he rolled up, freshly minted Oscar winner, working for (laughs) not as much money as one might think. (laughs) This was... Before Raging Bull, was it not? Yeah, Raging Bull's 1980. Yeah, so was this the first De Niro-Scorsese collaboration? No, Mean Streets would have been the first one. Ah, of course. Um, Are you a long-time fan of this film? I was thinking actually just today, trying to figure out when I first saw Taxi Driver. It would have been maybe even my mid-twenties. I was, yeah, I was kind of late to the party on Taxi Driver. What about you? You saw it reasonably recently, yeah? Yeah, I only saw it for the first time. It was almost exactly two years ago. I was working at a studio that it was really cool, actually. They did a weekly film club because at the studio they had, you know, several cinema type rooms there, you know, for reviewing work and stuff. So once a week they'd show a a classic film and then we'd all sit around like wankers and discuss it and have wine and cheese. (laughs) That is ideal. Oh, it's it's it sounds like your ideal kind of gathering. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so that was the first time I saw it, which was a really cool way to experience it with a bunch of other people who love cinema and, and a lot of them were first time viewers of it as well. So that was really enjoyable, actually. Um, and I've since watched it a couple of times because I, I mean, I messaged you at the time. I was like, man, have you, have you seen taxi driver? It's, it's real good. And you were like, yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> like it's, it's fucking taxi driver. Like, yes, it's good. <laughs> I mean, it's no Rocky though, according to the Academy. <laughs> yes. Didn't Rocky win? It, it won more than just best picture. It won several awards, didn't it? Like just madness. Have you, have you looked at what else was up that year for like, it's not just taxi driver. Um, that year there was, all the President's Men and uh, Network was that year. Are you? I was sure Network was an Oscar winner. Did Network not win? Not up against 
rocking. <laughs> well, I mean, you're right. You, you can't compare that with uh, Adrian. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's lunacy. It's absolute oh. lunacy. Yeah, that's nuts. Network is a class. Network might even be better than Taxi Driver, to be honest. You could release Network now and it would seem stunningly current. Speaking of things seeming current, let's get straight into Taxi Driver. How do you feel that the film holds up some 40 years later? I mean, it's no joker. (laughs) You knew where I was going with the question then. (laughs) Do you feel that it needed the um, quotation marks remake that we got in Joker? (laughs) Um, No, because we've got Taxi Driver. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A very, very, very good film. Possibly- uh, as I said at the start, I, I think it's my favourite Scorsese film, although The Departed is very far up there. I haven't seen Godfather Part Two yet, but this is definitely my favourite De Niro performance. And my God, Jodie Foster is amazing in it too. Yeah. How, how old was she? When, like, when they actually shot it, was she 12 or 13? I believe she was 12. Like yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty stunning. Far too young to- be anywhere near the content that this film is asking of her. Absolutely. Yeah, because, like, what, she wasn't allowed to watch the film for, what, like a decade after she made it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. One thing that does strike me about, it seems kind of obvious to say, geez, De Niro's good in this film, but I think when, like, when I first came to this movie, there's the one scene that everybody knows long before they've seen the movie. Are you talking to me? Provided you grew up in a world that Taxi Driver already existed in, you, you grow up with the knowledge of this scene. And so I think you can go into the film thinking that De Niro's performance is a pretty out there bit of work when actually so much of the film is this completely internalised character and performance. And a lot of a lot of what he does is is the character just observing the city around him, and just all happens in De Niro's eyes. And then, yeah, later on in the film, it, it goes big, but it's proportionally it's a much smaller chunk of the film than what than what I was expecting. I think when I first came to it, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a it is a very introspective film. The film itself really is about loneliness and the effect that loneliness can have on a person, particularly someone who is already struggling. And so, yes, so much of the film is very introspective and uh, quiet. He's fantastic in the film. And and you can see the clear development that his character takes as well. The kind of suffering punishment that he goes through and to an extent kind of puts himself through, it's- it's in some ways hard to watch. Yeah, Travis is a decidedly uncomfortable person to spend two hours with. The scene that um that introduces us to the character really well, I think, is that little interview he's having with the guy at the taxi company. Because it just gives you these few insights into Travis where he's he's smart enough to be a little bit embarrassed about his lack of education. Yes. Like, he's not all bravado and, like, full alpha male. There's, like, there's already just in that initial scene with him, it does a great job, I think, of just, you know, planting these seeds of the type of person that we're starting out with. 
in this film. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that that progresses, how it's interesting. You kind of brought it up how he's, he's smart enough to be embarrassed of certain things. And yet later on, he takes a girl for a first date to a porno theater and he doesn't, he doesn't really understand. He, it's, it's almost childlike in the ways that he doesn't understand the world. Yeah, because like, when did that seem like a good idea, Travis? Yeah, I mean, I've I've had some bad dates. I once took a, I once took a girl to see Jersey Girl, so you know, I've, I've made bad cinematic decisions before. But I'm wise enough to know to not go see or nine on a date with the choice of taking someone to an adult. I'm sure I'm sure it was like advertised as as adult cinema, but he takes someone to a porn film. It's that's a nice little thing with the kind of the conflict that exists within Travis because like he loathes prostitutes on the streets. And yet what does he do when he takes someone out? He takes them to watch porn. Yeah. That's a it's it's a nice little device of of showing what a what a jumbled mess this guy's head is without having to have him scream at rats or something. <laughs> <laughs> It's well, no, that's true. That's true. There's very little screaming at rats, <laughs> and with, with his characterization too. So, yes, he doesn't scream at rats. The film does have voiceover though to give us a bit of a glimpse into his mind. But what I love about the way that that's written is that it's it's never past tense. It's always present and it's almost like a stream of consciousness like this is what he's thinking in this moment right now it's not and then i did this then i did that i love that it's that current you know this is as you say his his mind is is jumbled and it's there's almost no coherent stream to the life that he leads so i think that's a really smart decision with the voiceover to do it that way without kind of retrospective thought Speaking of the kinds of people you you take to the adult cinema, Sybil Shepherd blows into this film just just being like movie star AF. Yeah. Like full like full old-timey movie star, I think. Shepherd in this film you could very much see being in black and white with soft focus on her, I think. <laughs> yeah, with Vaseline all over the lens. Yeah, it's that full kind of luminous thing which is so it's in such stark contrast to Travis's experience on the streets that it's then I think it's really easy for the audience to go along with well yeah of course he's just completely ensorcelled by this person the first time he sees her and you know um with with Hank Scorpio himself Albert Brooks's character uh Tom I mean he's in the same boat as Travis he just worships the ground she walks on oh I mean wouldn't you well yeah <laughs> <laughs> All of his, all of his scenes, all of um, De Niro's scenes with Shepard in the film, he again, like getting back to how so much of it is not a particularly big and out there performance. He's as as misguided as he is with his relationship with this woman. It's it's also stunningly sincere. Mm. Like you actually genuinely can feel bad for the guy because you're like, mate, this is going nowhere. Yeah, he doesn't know. Now, why she's spending a single minute with the guy is a genuine mystery. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> because then it's, yeah, it's not until Shepard's character, Betsy, once she finally does reject him, then the performance really does ratchet up. 
in terms of its, you know, the overt nature of of what probably what many of us thought we were walking into with this performance. Yeah. When you get into the hole, you're talking to me. <laughs> mm. His reaction to the first time he sees Jodie Foster's character and he has this genuine, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, it's incredible, actually, that this, this guy who he spends his nights on the streets, even he is shocked by this person. What I love about this film in both the performance and the screenplay and the direction is that Travis is not just a crazy person. Like, he is a damaged person who is spiralling deeper and deeper. But as I said earlier, there's this almost childlike um, naivety to him where he he wants to see things better than they are, which for someone who drives around looking at this scummy city all night, it's- there's something almost whimsical about the way he sees the world. It's interesting watching this film because, it, like, it takes place in a New York that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. And, like, through TV and film, maybe we feel like we have some connection to this, uh, like, this kind of iteration of this city. But it, it's amazing to think how resonant it must have been watching it in the mid to late 70s, particularly if you were from that part of the world. Yeah, because this is very much one of those films where the setting is a character. Like, the city of New York, as you said, so much of the film is kind of the city through Travis's eyes as, as he, you know, drives around late at night. That's kind of more than half the movie is just his experience of the city. And so, it plays such an integral role in the film. And you're right, like, it's- it's like for people from our generation, it's almost hard to remember, except that, as you say, we've seen it in enough movies and TV shows now. It's almost hard to realize that, that this was New York for such a long period of time. I really actually I really dig Scorsese's scene in this film. He has an all like genuinely I, I thought this while watching it. He has a sort of Oscar Isaac energy to him in this movie. I could see that. I could see that. I think he gets a lot of energy from his eyebrows. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Whenever I've seen Scorsese in things like um, Quiz Show, for instance, like there's, there are times where I see Scorsese and I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'm, I'm happy your career is what it is, but I really think that he can act. I wonder if that's why we had such a good streak of Ben Affleck directed films because he he understood that side of it as well. Good job getting your man Ben Affleck into the episode. <laughs> well, Affleck could do anything. He could play the shark in Jaws. <laughs> um, any lines of your own you'd like to use about Affleck or are you just going to continue recycling Kevin Smith? He was the bomb in Phantoms, yo. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I, I, do, I really like the way that Scorsese does like continue to unpack Travis gradually across the film. Like- the scars we see, like the physical scars we see on Travis, is more than an hour into the film, which I think, you know, then you get to think back about, all right, what have I already seen from him before? How is, where, where's he been? How is this impacting his life? It's good that some of that is kind of drip fed through the film rather than just giving us a bio of the guy somehow in the first five minutes. Yeah. And like for, yeah, with, for Scorsese directing De Niro, I mean, it's got to be quite a luxury that I, I remember hearing, I think it's in the director's commentary of Ronan when Frankenheimer was saying that there came a point in production where 
he would just have an extra camera pointed at De Niro because there was a reasonable chance that he'd just do something amazing. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, like, and, like, I mean, how much of this film is on, you know, a, a mid to close-up shot of the guy's face? Like, he, he just carries the movie in his face. As well-directed as, like, it's, I mean, the, thing, the thing's a fucking masterpiece. It's incredibly well-directed, but it's also such a luxury that you've got this shortcut of point the camera at De Niro. Yeah, yeah. But Scorsese's really smart about that too. And, and we spoke about this in, in our Irishman episode. Obviously, he, he knows what he's doing. But in films like this, where there's kind of a psychological element to it and someone is kind of descending, the choice that's often made is to go with really, really, really wide lenses, to go with lots of, for example, fisheye, kind of distort the edge of frame. Scorsese actually really stays away from that. And like you say, there's lots of mid and close-ups just really focusing on the character. Yeah. And then all the other stuff that he does, the, 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 you know, the quite Scorsese things he does with the movement of the camera and the use of colour. I mean, we haven't even gotten to the final scene yet, but I mean, fuck, the movement in that scene is so, so strong. Though not a lot of colour in the final 10 minutes because the only way they could get it past the censorship board was to desaturate it so there was less blood obvious in it. Yeah, which, I, I mean, really, guys? Like, it, it's still blood. <laughs> you got to wonder. Because, I mean, that scene, well, not like the start of that whole sequence, it, it looks weird. Like, why? it, it kind of looks almost like it's shot day for night. And it's like, what's what's going on here? Is this the? I was like, that's a weird. I was thinking, like, that's a weird choice. I I felt like, and I was like, I don't know why. I, I'm not getting. I'm not getting this. And it wasn't until I was reading something afterwards that I was like, oh, it was so they could get it past the board. See, for me, it's one of those choices that actually works and and lends itself, even though it wasn't its intention. I find that it somehow. Because it does differentiate that scene from the rest of the film, it does, to me anyway, make it slightly more impactful. I'd be really happy for him to, like, like Apocalypse Now, Just six months ago. saturate the shit out of it. Just absolutely. Give me the blood. Yeah. Give yeah. me all the blood. Let, <laughs> let me see Harvey Keitel just get gloriously blown. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Do you think Harvey Keitel in this movie, pretty amazing. Yeah. Do you get any um, Tommy Wiseau vibes? <laughs> Of yes. his character? Yes. <laughs> Maybe it's just because he's a complete sleazeball. But <laughs> I was just waiting for- Oh, hi, Travis. <laughs> Travis is my best friend. <laughs> There's some very strong Tommy W vibes. And I love you so much. <laughs> it could- I think maybe. I've, I've re-evaluated Tommy Wiseau. I think his entire existence is a bit of performance art- of Harvey Keitel's pimp in Taxi Driver. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing to find out years later? Like if Tommy Wiseau just one day rocked up and was like, hi, everybody, I'm Tommy Wiseau. And it turned out that the whole thing had been an act. <laughs> I'm telling you, that day is coming. <laughs> I, when are we getting Big Shark? Are they still making that? I don't know where Big Shark's at. Oh, I want Big Shark. I want it in my eyeballs, though. <laughs> Do you know, even despite, you know, the horrors inflicted by by Travis and other people in this film, I still think maybe the most horrifying or, or like just the most upsetting thing in the film is watching 
people eat toast with not enough butter on it. <laughs> Just this dry ass <laughs> bread going into someone's mouth. I find deeply upsetting. <laughs> I think it's a masterstroke of Scorsese. I'm sure it's intentional because it's it's not it's, on. It's to drive it's to drive the viewer mad so that you two yes. can feel the descent. Yeah, you're going on the journey with Travis because people are eating really dry toast. <laughs> it's not okay. Um, can we talk about something that I'm sure you, you often say you don't notice this, but I'm sure in this film you must have. Can we talk about the score, the brass and whatnot? Yes. Now, clearly with this film, you noticed it. It's very repetitive. It's very striking. It's very jazzy. You know, in another setting, you could use it in like a drama romance. Y- yeah, you definitely could. That saxophone kind of uh, riff that that vibes through the entire film. Yeah, you could definitely see that as a love theme. Yeah. Do I think it works? Yes, I do. Do I think if like I scored the film- it would still just work because it can't help it, maybe. <laughs> See, I, I actually really love the score, and I feel like the fact that it's so brassy and bold and repetitive, I think that's a really distinct choice. And, you know, we joked about the toast being kind of like, you know, so that you can experience the descent into madness. I feel like the score actually is trying to do that. Like, with the way that it repeats itself over and over, I feel like it is meant to make you feel slightly uncomfortable. Yes, I think I think you're onto something there. Like, I don't find it an- en- It's not an enjoyable listen, I don't think. But, of course, n- probably nor should it be. Exactly, yeah. But it, it makes a smart choice by just having, like, really the whole score. I mean, I'd need to have a closer listen, but it feels to me like there's maybe one or two distinct pieces that are just- used slightly differently thematically, but it, it it really works for me. Can I circle back to the the overhead shot near the end of the film? Can I put something to you? One choice, I guess, in this movie, which I dare disagree with. Okay. Is that I think that overhead shot should be the end of the film. So you would not have the final scenes that kind of leave you questioning? Because uh, here's what I was going to ask. Do they leave you questioning? Do you think he survived the shootout and was really seen as a hero? Or do you think that's in his head? Is he possibly in a coma? Is he is he dying? Is this kind of his final imaginings? That's a reasonable question. And, and I think everyone can make up their own mind about it. I Personally, I think he should die. I think that, I think that camera track should end. And he's, he's left in a pool of blood where obviously he's dead. Personally, right. I actually would be like, and cut. So, tell me tell me why that is. For you, is that- f- It's one of the most striking shots of any film I've ever seen. Yes. And just because it's so insanely strong, for me, anything that comes after it is going to be a bit of a letdown. So, you've reached, for me, basically the pinnacle of movie making. I'm like, just go out on top, movie. That's interesting. Okay, that's interesting. I I personally love those final scenes. And as I said, I I love the fact that they themselves can invoke such discussion because I think they leave things a lot less clear than if you you ended it with him in a pool of blood because Mm. um, you don't- 
you don't really know what happens next. And I, I'm not really sure that you should. I, I, I don't feel like his character is one that should have a grand finale one way or the other. I think it's really interesting to leave that hanging. So, we've had virtually nothing but praise for this movie. How are you scoring it? Uh, unlike you, not my favourite Scorsese film, although it would be close to it. I'm very harshly going to give it 9 out of 10. So, what's your favourite then? I probably couldn't go past Goodfellas. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Goodfellas is fantastic. But for me, I mean, The Departed has got to be up there as well. I mean, I'm just saying, like, if we're ranking Scorsese films, I think I think The Departed is up there in the top three. Nah. No! Now I feel like we need to do a, f- a full ranking. We should we should watch them all. Maybe we should. <laughs> what would that do to a person? <laughs> Just binging Scorsese. Well, I don't know. Do you think it would be any worse than binging all the Fast and the Furious films? <laughs> I, I feel like Fast and Furious was a worse mental decision than Scorsese films would have been. Yeah. I think there's probably some- government agencies who have taken it up as a form of enhanced interrogation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm a 10 for this film. I think that it is as close to a perfect film as you can have. So, I'm a 10. So, does that make this our equal highest? Uh, it would, 19. I think we've only had maybe three 19s in the history of the show. Godfather was a 19? Uh, yep. 2001 Space Odyssey was a 19, and Reindeer Games was a 19. <laughs> because, because I gave it a 17. <laughs> Wouldn't that still make it an 18? What did I give it to? I feel like you were generous because it was Christmas. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, anyway, so yeah, spoiler alert, Taxi Driver's good. It's 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 really, really, really good. It's really good. <laughs> what are we getting to next week, buddy? Um, great question. No idea. Oh, you are you are terrible. It's, I'm got- coming off holiday. Dude, I don't even know what- Like, honestly, we're in that time of the year where I legit do not know what day of the week it is because they've, they, they don't have meaning anymore. Little women, my friend. Little women. Little oh, women. I was about to say that. I was about to say that. <laughs> no, you weren't. No, you weren't. I was. Perfect New Year's movie. I'm really excited for Little Women. I actually just yesterday uh, rewatched 1994's Little Women just to get me in the mood. Never seen it. Really? Really? I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. So I was like, you know what? I've, I've got to rewatch this. And yeah, I have not read the book. I have never seen an adaptation. I've done both. I mean, you would say I haven't read the book because Christina Ricci read it to me. <laughs> right. So, but you, you've you've taken the book in. I've taken the book in. I I have understood the book. I've, yeah. I'm not allowed to use the word read because you're a knob. But yes, I have listened. Well, because to you didn't book. read it. That's the only thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only reason. That's the only reason. So that's next week. We'll be seeing that at uh, Dendy Cinemas. And in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you, like our friend this week, want to tell us something that we have to watch on the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and we'll catch you next week. Well, you also need to, like, sign up for it. You can't just go to the website. That's that's true. You need to, you need to, you need to throw some money at us. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Anyway, go watch a movie.
Thanks, Dad. Did that joke land? No. 